right, folks, welcome to another podcast episode with USA Powerlifting. I'm your host, Ryan Carrillo, and I'm once again joined by our president, Larry Maley. Hey, Larry, how you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Just got back from Norway a few days ago, huh? Yeah, long trip, short time. It was very quick, wasn't it? And obviously, we're going to talk about uh, the white elephant in the room today a bit, but more than anything, we want to be excited because we're at a pivotal moment in USA Powerlifting's history where there's more opportunity than ever for us to do something exciting and great with the product that we already have and deliver to all of our members, right? Exactly. We have uh, labored under a system that was difficult, I think, for a lot of lifters a lot of the time, and we have the chance to reverse that now. Exactly. One of those things that you saw, if you read our press release that came out announcing our uh, foray into international powerlifting, was the Pro Series. We got to share some details that you've all been looking forward to uh, about the Pro Series. We've announced $235,000 as a prize pool. That is a huge amount, uh, a record for us, and it is just the beginning, which is very exciting. Uh, incremental change is the way to go, right? We can't just start off off the bat with a million dollars. We want to grow responsibly, and we want to deliver the best product possible so that the lifter experience is great. The, the future of USA Powerlifting is bright, right, Larry? We think so, and... What we want to do is really develop something that's sustainable, um, that lifters can count on occurring year after year after year, and not to be a flash in the pan or have something that appears to be great on its face and disappears the next year. Yeah, absolutely. We've seen lots of money meets in the past. I mean, look to history, right? We had the, the WPO that had a few money meets here and there. Whatever happened to them? Um, they are still going sometimes. Um, and and they still offer meets and and the WPO Pro Series, um, which is catering to their clientele. Um, so they're still out there. Um, most of the other meets are once and done kind of meets, and we strive to avoid that and to have something that, as I said, is sustainable um, and that lifters can depend on as a regular series of stops for them to participate in. That's awesome. So what are your thoughts in this release where we talked about, you know, USA Powerlifting is going international? What was our intention in saying that? <clears throat> well, what we really wanted to say was that um, under the previous system, we were somewhat restricted in terms of people participating. Um, it involved permission on their part. It involved matching a schedule internationally, which is difficult and changeable. Um, and restrictions on who might come. And so we don't have any of those restrictions anymore. And, awesome. And we have the latitude to reach out to people who are like-minded and to invite them to participate with us. Um, I would highlight just historically, one of the things we used to do um, was to invite one national team to every nationals to participate as guests. And that became eventually untenable because of the restrictions we were under. Um, and we, we intend to look at doing things like that. Another thing that I hadn't mentioned um, and, and may be a surprise to some people is that um, shortly following the meeting in Norway, um, we received requests from six countries to affiliate with us to be, if you will, national affiliates of USA Powerlifting and offers from four international federations to affiliate with them. So there's interest out there 
both in coming to America, but in terms of having U.S. lifters participate elsewhere. Um, and so we're looking at those things and, and considering development. I think we'll probably be conservative in that regard um, because our focus really at this point is internal to a large degree. Yeah. Um, but it would be nice, and I throw this out there as a possibility for the future, it, it would be nice to visit foreign countries and do invitational yeah. meets and go places where we actually want to go. That's a big one, and there's no organization, I would argue, that puts on a better show in the world of powerlifting than we do. So how long have we been doing the Arnold for? 14 years. 14 years, and, and we are constantly one of the most lauded and loved experiences at the Arnold Sports Festival, right? It's, it's exciting for the lifters. It's exciting to know that over the course of a weekend, 400,000 people are going to walk by and stop and look, um, or 40,000 standing out in the crowd. Um, it, but another thing that, that we offer there is we offer uh, an entertaining package that yep. doesn't go for weeks on end. So people can come and experience the excitement that is the Arnold, um, watch their favorite lifters lift, but not have to stay there weeks to do it. Yeah, and that has uh, a lot to do with the experience of not only the lifters, but the general public. I went to the Bench Press Worlds in Tokyo in 2014. And that was a 14-day affair. And I can tell you, that is not the best experience for athletes, officials, and definitely not for the fans and supporters. Historically, when international meets were shorter, everybody used to plan it as a vacation. So they would obviously come prepared and they would spend three or four days or whatever it took to finish the meet. And then everybody went out on the country and toured and traveled and visited museums and did all kinds of things. Um, that really, now if you're looking at two weeks away from home, you don't have the opportunity to do it. And we would like to, to, to make it more, if you will, family-friendly so that people can come, they can lift, and then enjoy themselves. That's, that's huge. The experience has always been the best part of what we do, in my opinion. I have competed in other federations. I've been to countless world championships in the middle-of-nowhere countries. I think a lot of viewers know exactly what I'm talking about. And... It is not conducive for a family vacation. It's not conducive for just those good feelings you have of being with your team because these schedules are spread out so far. Uh, and so I'm frankly excited that we are now off on our own, able to dictate the experience of our lifters, of our staff, and control those timelines and deliver the most exciting experience possible. I mean, we're going to Vegas for nationals, right? Exactly. And the, the reason we're going to Vegas, obviously, is that People wanted to go to Vegas. Um, they wanted to go somewhere where um, it's an entertaining city, and and we listened. So we, we will be going to Vegas this year, um, and we're open to suggestions for other places that people really would like to go to. So speaking of listening and hearing and responding, we have a big announcement that you all are the first to know today watching the USA Powerlifting Podcast. Larry, what's the big exciting news that we have to share? Well, as I, I mentioned a little bit ago, um, people have given us a great deal of feedback. And one of the pieces of that feedback was essentially they hate the weight classes we have now. Um, and, and so in listening to lifters and looking at the traditions of powerlifting, one of the things you're going to see forthcoming is uh, change back to the old weight classes and addition of some weight classes. Um, when we 
adopted the IPF weight classes, a number of people were left out, and they were left out on both ends. Um, we historically had a 44 kilo class, 97 pounds, and when that went away, essentially those lifters were left without a place. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, historically, we also had a, a 145 kilo weight class, um, and, and the difficulty has been when we had a 275, you had people who were slightly over 275, and then you had really big guys that were pushing 400 pounds, making it very difficult for the lighter guys to, to compete. The lighter big guys. Right. Um, and so one of the things we're going to do is add, both for men and women, a heavier weight class than currently exists. Awesome. Um, and and I will display here on the screen now the new weight classes. Just for those of you who don't know, the traditional weight classes go back as far as the 60s, as far as I know when we first started. Uh, we're going to be adding a few weight classes to that. Again, I'll put that here on screen. So you should be seeing that now. And I know, especially for our women lifters, they're going to be very excited. They've been very vocal that they need to have different weight classes to have a fair level shot uh, in, in winning, right? Exactly. And not only was it difficulty on the ends of the weight classes, we lost the 97s. Um, we lost the 198-pound class for women. Um, but the, the jumps between weight classes have been huge, really. So you, you would be in a weight class, and if you wanted to drop to the other one, sometimes you'd have to drop 10 or 12 kilos to be in that weight class. Uh, again, not healthy and not um, tenable for people. People are all different sizes. So um, in recognition of that and in listening to our lifters, the Omer overwhelming majority of whom said, please bring back the old weight classes. That is what we're doing. One other big exciting piece of news that we have is going to get a lot of you excited. Uh, a big controversial thing that has happened over the years with the IPF has been the exorbitant fees they charge companies to be a part of the IPF and it keeping smaller cap companies from, from participating and from lifters from using uh, their equipment. We're changing up the rules, aren't we, Larry? What are we doing? Yes, we are. What we are going to do is go back to the, the acceptance of equipment and especially at the local level that meets any technical the te technical requirements um, and we are going to as a nod to our sponsors we have some equipment sponsors um, who we value their sponsorship they will be preferred sponsors and and have the opportunity to participate as title sponsors in events um, but we are not going to charge equipment fees Awesome. For those of you that don't know, I think typically to be in the IPF, a manufacturer has to pay, uh, you know, at the base level, $10,000 to get like a, a wrap or a knee sleeve included uh, and upwards of six figures for a company like Titan or Enzer to have their all of their equipment approved. Right, Larry? Exactly. And certainly during the pandemic, it's been difficult for all of the manufacturers, but um, it's it's a difficult economy where essentially all of their disposable income goes to entree onto this one platform. And one of the things we have is the single largest powerlifting market in the world. Um, and we're open for business. Open for business. You hear that, sponsors? Slide in our DMs. We are open to talk to you. We're excited to talk to you. We have lots of opportunity coming up, especially with the Pro Series. I, I would add something, too, in terms of a contrast with the way it used to be and the way our perspective is. Our perspective is that 
sponsorship should really directly benefit the athletes themselves rather than to line the pockets of the organization. And, and so in, in looking to seek sponsors for events um, rather than take their money to support the organization, we want to be able to pass that, in for that, that money back to the lifters. We also want to up the quality of our events. And so um, we're going to redirect that income stream so that it more directly impacts the lifters. Beautiful. Y'all hear that? This isn't lining pockets. This is going back to you and delivering things like these big LED screens you see at Nationals, the professional lighting and sound, photography, you know, the devil's in the details. And when you go to our meets, it's an experience. It's fun. You can bring your family. And that is our competitive advantage, not only being the largest market for powerlifting in the whole world. Uh, this is a good segue to talk about uh, the white elephant in the room. And, you know, the burden financially that we had being as members of the IPF. A lot of people don't realize the tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars that our organization spent in being a part of the IPF. And now that we're free of that, we're able to roll that money back to the athletes. Yep. The, the direct role of the hard dollar cost you see reflected in the pro series. Um, and, and so we believe... Conservatively speaking, we can save enough money by not participating in the IPF that we can fund that pro series. Um, what is, is not often talked about are the indirect cost of participation in the IPF. Um, and to be honest, it, it really has been an albatross for us mm. um, in terms of personnel time and um, the workload it takes to be able to participate at the level we have in the IPF. Obviously, that those kinds of costs don't accrue if you're a very small nation and you send three lifters to world. But that that was never our intention. Our intention was to give the most people the most opportunity to participate, and that proved to be very expensive. Um, and what I'm talking about, without being specific, is low to mid six figures every year. Um, so we expect to realize a great deal of cost savings. Um, both directly, obviously, but the resources that we used in participating in the IPF, we can also redirect internally again. So we're going to go down this path very briefly. I want to spend as little as time as possible talking about what has transpired in the past, but there are still some misconceptions out there that I see uh, trolling the internet like all of you, and they're simple fixes for us to talk about. I think it comes from just the complexity of the situation that we had with the IPF, but I think we should address it directly to those that are believing these uh, mistruths. One of those is there are people out there that seem to believe USA Powerlifting runs a drug testing lab, um, that when we go and collect samples, we control the process the entire time, we test it, and thus uh, it is unjust, it is unrighteous. Larry, can you explain crystal clear the efficacy of our drug testing program, where it goes, who touches it, and the fact that there have never been any allegations of um, mishandle of samplings by our doping control officers. Sure. To, to really answer the last question first um, about the laboratories, laboratories are independent of us. We use two of them. One of them is a WADA lab. Um, the other one is a certified forensic lab. And, and so once the samples are in the door to them, we have no contact with them until they give us the results. We have no capacity to influence those results. 
One of the criticisms has been over time that the process before that um, is, is lacking in some way. And, and so um, I want to address that briefly as well. The first thing I would say, and you mentioned it briefly, is that we have never had a successful challenge to a drug test in USA Powerlifting. And the reason for that is the process. And the process is no different than the process that you have with a WADA test. Um, and let me explain it just briefly. Um, if you were drawn for drug testing, and I can talk about the algorithm we draw people from later, but if you're drawn for drug testing, you go with the drug testing officer, you select your sample kit. You're not given one. You select from whatever sealed kits are present. You take that kit, you open that kit, you deliver the sample, you split the sample, you seal it, and you certify it being sealed both in the containers and the shipping container. And the drug testing officer never touches that. By your signature and by your certification, you say that that's your sample. It goes into a, a legally defensible chain of custody container, which is then transmitted to the lab. It's never opened again until it gets to the lab. So it's no different from the process that's used in forensic specimen collection, and it's no different than WADA. Um, it's, a, it's a sound, defensible, and independent of us process from cradle to grave. Thank you for addressing that. So I hope you heard him loud and clear if you were believing that USA Powerlifting owned and operated a faulty drug testing lab. That is simply not true. Uh, some other misconceptions uh, I want to talk about is people using this too much testing angle uh, and throwing it back at us as if we're oversimplifying the complex issue. I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's pretty clear when you look at the facts that, uh, for instance, Johnny Candido shared in his impartial YouTube video. For those of you that don't know, Johnny has been vocal in some of the policies and things about USA Powerlifting he doesn't like. You know, this isn't a guy that we asked to go do this. He sought it out. He did the research. He dug up the facts and shared it in his YouTube video. And the fact is 45% of IPF nations don't drug test. Uh, and so the, the boiling down this complex issue to USAPL drug tests too much. Uh, can you go into a little bit of detail about how that's an unfair uh, scope of exactly what is happening? Sure, Ryan. To, to do that, really, I'd have to talk about history to some degree. And as, as people are likely aware, um, we've been out here for 40 years, and so we have a great deal of experience. We've done more than 50,000 drug tests. Um, but we have a great deal of experience um, in terms of what effectiveness is in terms of drug tests. And one of the things I said, and I've said multiple times publicly, is we've gone through multiple iterations of drug testing to determine what's effective. And when we started, we required that you do one test per meet. Um, but what we found is that that was insufficient. Um, the next step was to go to 5% testing per meet. And, and while that was effective in as far as it went in terms of catching people, what it didn't do is provide any deterrent to people. Um, and the next step up was to 10% testing. Um, if you listen to Johnny's video, in terms of lifter appearances, we're now at about 18.9%. Yep. And, and so there are multiple components to adequate testing. 
Um, one of them obviously is the viability of the testing. The second is obviously selecting the right people to test. But the third really is the deterrent effect of doing enough testing so that people know that there's a likelihood if they come to USA Powerlifting, they will be tested. So there are multiple aspects to it. It, it isn't just that we test too much. Um, one of the criticisms of us um, by the IPF and through their WADA consultants have been, all you have to do is stop testing so much and then all will be well. But that doesn't serve the need to keep a clean platform, and that's what we've said repeatedly. That's not drug-free powerlifting. No. <clears throat> that's untested powerlifting with the facade of water compliance. Yes. And, and let me talk about water compliance just for a minute, if you would. In order to be water compliant, you have to do, get this, no testing. You have to massage your documents so that they are consistent with water rules, but you don't have to test. And therein lies the 45% of nations in the IPF who do no testing. But realistically, Ryan, there's another 30% who really do only token testing. One test, two tests, three tests. And Johnny showed that in his video. Uh, you know, countries like Japan who have the means, they're one of the wealthiest nations in the world. They did one test. And this isn't uh, to start a, a fight with our brother nations out there. We love Japan. They love us. But it's just an example of uh, what water compliance truly means. And it's not a drug-free, fair-play platform. Yep. And, and to be fair to our friends in Japan, and they really are our friends, yes. they have developed the same culture of drug-free lifting that we have. And, and so they are confident, in, in fact, it's a matter of honor for them, that they be drug-free. And, and that's a little bit different than some of the cultures you see where um, the ethic is not to have a clean platform and where cheating is the rule of the day. And, and so I would make a distinction between those honorable nations and those who are less so. Yeah, definitely. But the upshot is really, if you look at effective and frequent testing, 80% of the nations in the IPF either do no testing or don't do enough testing to be effective. Yeah, I want to take this opportunity to, to, to dig a bit more in. There's a lot that you don't know, our viewers. There's, uh, I want Larry to dive in a bit and share some really cool knowledge that I've had for years, and I think it's time to talk about it, and why our drug testing system is as good as it is. has to do a lot with how Larry uh, has learned to catch dopers. Larry, who did you learn about doping from? Some years ago, you may remember the scandal in track and field um, related to development of undetectable steroids. It was a Bay Area lab company, um, and they developed a number of drugs that couldn't be tested for. Um, that lab was headed by an individual, Victor Conti, um, who ultimately was caught and resulted in the cleanup, a great deal of cleanup in terms of track and field. But and he also had ties to professional baseball, right, Larry? He was yes, he Barry did. Bonds, these guys. A, a number of, of professional yeah. baseball players. Um, and, and so ultimately in his being caught, um, he, he was very vocal about the things that, that he had done and his company had done, and I contacted him. And, and I contacted him for the express purpose of asking how we could make our drug testing program more effective 
um, how we would know who to pick to test, when people would use, and what were the, the hallmarks of usage both in season and out of season. Um, and, and he was very forthcoming. Um, we sought to learn how to be better at drug testing, not just to um, flip a coin, to do random testing, um, to test a winner every time, but to look and see what constituted the criteria for people who were likely to be using. Um, those are in terms of performance criteria, changes in performance, changes in performance in terms of out-of-meat lifting versus in-meat lifting, um, and the physical aspects of drug use. And, and those are changes that we incorporated into our program and yielded a great deal more positive tests um, as time went by. Thank you for sharing that. And, and I wanted to bring it up because the more that people understand the inner workings of our drug testing system, I think the more they learn what we're doing is a great uh, thing to do for drug-free powerlifting and that what we were going to be subject to by the IPF, which was having zero control over who was tested, zero knowledge of who had been tested, and number one, having to foot the bill for it all. Uh, we're freedom-loving people here, and we weren't going to capitulate to a third party who just wants control and just wants uh, our money, if you will. Uh, if you don't have anything else to add, Larry, I want to go ahead and move on. I think we've spent enough time talking about this, but it's all been really valuable information. And I hope you guys have learned something. If you have any other questions in this regard, uh, look at the link in the description to let us know. I, I just wanted to add one thing. And that one thing is that USA Powerlifting is in the catching business. Um, we're not in the avoiding business, the hiding business, or the window dressing of drug testing business. We're in the catching business. And the reason we are is because we want our platform to be clean at the local level all the way to the national level and internationally. We want to catch people and we want those people, um, with all due respect to them, people make their own choices. We want them to compete where they should. And that is not here. Amen. So moving on, I just want to touch briefly on our training app. It's been launched for about uh, six weeks now. Uh, can you tell the people a bit about the vision behind that, the kinds of abilities it's going to give us by providing the service to people who want it? And, and how the funds are going to be treated in our organization because we are a nonprofit, right? Um, when, we, when we conceived of the training app, our thought was that there really is a clientele out there, whether they be novice to us lifters or whether they be out there in other organizations or just people who are training in the gym. Those people need knowledge to get better um, and they need engagement in terms of coming to an organization that's going to foster their ability to lift. So that was our our underlying philosophy and in the past six weeks we have found essentially that um, more than half of the people who have signed up for the training app are people who have not been members of usa powerlifting and and we would like to bring them aboard we would like to encourage them to both get better um, but to be involved with us um, both on a competitive basis as they see fit um, but also to bring them along in terms of engagement with our qualified and certified coaches. And so one of our objectives really was to develop a system of referrals to our certified coaches. And, and we didn't assume that it would be standalone indefinitely, um, but it would get people started. 
it would really whet their interest and that as they desired more knowledge, whether it be one-on-one -on -one coaching or um, in-person or personal online training, that we could then refer them internally to people who um, have, have believed in and patronized our online coaching system and our, our coaching courses themselves. Yeah, that's really big. Uh, for those of you out there that don't know, I'm a marketing professional and business consultant. And one thing that I've noticed over the last decade uh, as fitness coaching and powerlifting coaching has ramped up is there is a segment of the market that has been underserved. Now, there are free templates out there, you know, these five by fives, whatever uh, templates you can find on the internet. Uh, but there's been an opportunity in the market for an organization like USA Powerlifting with 40 plus years of experience to come in and provide value to the newer lifters who are just unsure of what to do. Think about when you first started powerlifting. How did you find out how to train? You Googled it, right? You went online to find these free resources, but who, how do you know who to trust? Uh, when we have 40 plus years of experience, well, really, you know, a century of experience on our coaching staff who created these programs, it provides immense value for the newer lifters at the top of the funnel on their powerlifting journey. Like Larry said, the vision is uh, those people are going to grow. They're going to outgrow uh, programs or, or just powerlifting programs. And we want to encourage our certified coaches to join us and have these prime leads ready to go for their one-on-one -on -one coaching because that's the next natural step in their progression. Exactly. I said all the words you needed to say. <laughs> Thanks, Larry. So... Uh, we're getting towards the end here. Thank you all for sticking with us. We've had some really exciting announcements. Now we're going to talk a bit about the Pro Series, the, the new hotness in powerlifting, if you will. Uh, when I read that we're giving away Pro Cards, man, I got excited. The, just the sound of a powerlifting Pro Card sounds so great. Uh, Larry, tell us a bit from a high level uh, what the vision of the Pro Series is. Uh, in the future, I'll probably talk to Josh Rohr on this podcast, and we can get into those details and field some more intimate questions, but for now, let's just talk about the vision for the Pro Series and the schedule for this year. Sure. Um, the, the vision really is twofold, Ryan. One is that people have opportunities to, com to compete um, in some ways similar to the Arnold, where they can, they can be seen, where they can have high-level competition, where they have the opportunity to earn some money and to exercise their pro, pro card. Um, but the second aspect of that is at the end of the series, we want to crown uh, ultimate champions, um, really the best professional powerlifters in the world. So um, the, the vision really is twofold. Um, and the issue with the pro card, you, you mentioned that, and one of the things we did was to survey a number and, and in fact have Zoom calls with a number of our elite level lifters. And they said some things that, that really... Um, were in a little a little bit eye-opening to us. And one of them was that um, while it's nice to get money, it's not that we only want money. Yeah. What we want are titles and what we want are recognition. And that recognition is for the years of work we've put in becoming elite lifters. And yeah. so the pro card is a step in that direction. Um, we award pro cards to people who are, are place winners in nationals, place winners in professional meets, and, and whose performance is demonstrably elite. Um, and then we want to offer them the titles. Um, I am the Arnold Sports Festival Professional Powerlifting Champion. That's a big one. Um, I am the 
legitimate drug-free world record holder in a professional division. Um, Things that are meaningful to people. So um, when we were thinking that initially we'd like to have a situation where we give lifters back money in exchange for their excellent performance and their years and seniority, um, we didn't really consider that that's not all lifters are interested in. Um, We wanted sustainable purses, obviously. Um, but the lifters want the same recognition that they would get anywhere, that they really are the best of the best, and that's what this is about. So, Larry, I troll the Internet a lot. Um, it's a favorite pastime of mine, and it's also, it helps me keep in touch with uh, power lifters in general, helps me keep my pulse on things. And everyone saw what happened in Norway, and what was really surprising to, I think, 99% of people who just aren't in the know is that a new U.S. affiliate was named immediately after we were kicked out. and but Before it, we left the building. It was named before uh, we left the building in Norway. And much to the surprise of everyone I'm seeing on the Internet, uh, this is an unknown organization that has doesn't even have a website. They've never ran a meet. They may not even have a member. Uh, this organization is run by a former trusted member of our organization who started who got the business license from what we see on the internet in may so it's safe to say back in may uh something was happening between the ipf and this person uh let's talk a bit about what exactly went down and uh share your your thoughts and feelings as our uh, president sure and as many of you know our our sort of ongoing dispute about drug testing started with the ipf in terms of uh, initial cease and desist letter in 2018. And, and we have been going back and forth since then without going into it in great detail. Um, they made demands. Um, we made counter proposals. Um, and we failed to reach an agreement. Um, what, what you may not know, or some of you probably know, we went to arbitration with the IPF um, regarding our drug testing issues and policies and it was handled by an arbitrator um, in Australia who was a member of the Court of Arbitration for Sport who then rendered a judgment. Um, That arbitration started in June um, and during the course of that process we laid out things that we were able to do and things that we weren't. Um, We have since continued to make progress as demanded by the IPF um, one of the things that people don't know is we have expanded WADA testing on a test basis and a comparison basis to some local level meets um, and to, to gather information, if you will, on the efficacy of our non-WADA testing. And what we found essentially was no difference um, in terms of efficacy and positives. Um, be that as it may, um, we also offered several proposals um, in terms of how to keep testing at the sub-national level alive and what we were willing to do nationally. And what we were willing to do nationally was uh, exceed to third-party testing as monitored by the IPF and their drug testing vendor for our national-level meets and our elite-level lifters, essentially making us compliant with every other nation out there. And here's an interesting artifact, Ryan. Um, Many nations have a number of lifters who are never in their elite pool and whom they don't test. Mm -hmm. 
that was unacceptable to us. And so our proposal was, we are willing to split our organization into two separate organizations. Um, we will continue to manage our own business locally at the state level and et cetera. And we'll let you manage drug testing from cradle to grave at the national level and for our elite pool. That, however, was unacceptable to them. And, and here's an interesting thought, Ryan. Um, a person doesn't have to come to the negotiating table and to bargain in good faith when they already have an alternative. That, say that again, because that's exactly what we're talking about here. A person doesn't have to come to the table to negotiate in good faith when they have already selected an alternative. There it is. And so the new IPF affiliate was incorporated in May. Um, interestingly enough, the individuals incorporating it um, participated in our NGB meeting, mm -hmm. fallaciously, I might add. They're not eligible if they're officials of a competing organization. Um, but the IPF didn't have to negotiate with us, didn't have to bend, and didn't have to do anything because they had an alternative. There's one thing when this all played out that the IPF didn't consider, or maybe they did, but they just didn't care. We proposed a two-tier system, right, Larry? Exactly. And they just shot it down. And there's a nuance here, though. Can you explain a bit exactly what the facts are in this situation? Yeah, here's the irony, Ryan, um, that while the IPF rejected a two-tier system by putting a new affiliate in place and through USA Powerlifting continue to offer meets across the country, what they in fact put into place is a two-tier system. And the two-tier system is this. You come to USA Powerlifting, you join, you get better and better, you reach the elite level, and if you choose to compete internationally and go to the new affiliate, you are a brand new entity to them. And so prior to joining the new affiliate, the IPF has no control of you. You come to the new affiliate, you declare yourself an IPF-affiliated lifter with no history for them. Yep. So the two-tier system exists today by their own decisions. And here's another interesting thing you might consider. Uh, a number of our elite lifters this year competed in the World Championship, and they did so through another IPF affiliate. Um, and, and that seems like on its face to be both good and bad. But here's something the IPF never considered, or at least never listened to, because I mentioned it multiple times to the executive you have a system where a U.S. lifter may transfer to a, an IPF affiliate that has the same passport. Um, so here's the potential and here's their potential nightmare. There are 23, as last time I counted, U.S. trust territories. Each one of those could field a, a national team, take U.S. lifters, to the world championship and there could be 10,000 U.S. lifters lifting in the worlds. Um, wow. Something they didn't anticipate, I think. I don't think personally and knowing uh, the IPF over the years, I don't really think they care about that. I think they care about control and they now have control over the U.S. affiliate, which they tried to for years to come in and really most prominently take our money. Uh, but now they have the control they want and they have completely... Uh, lost sight of the goals of drug-free powerlifting and getting into the Olympics 
altogether by allowing something like this to happen. Sure. I had an interesting conversation, um, which will remain basically off the record formally, but I had an interesting conversation with a, another WADA affiliate who had the capacity to look at all of the sports in terms of their drug testing. And their feedback was this. The IPF doesn't do adequate drug testing. It's not clear that they're well enough organized in terms of drug testing. And there's nothing to prevent powerlifting from becoming the dirty sport that it has been historically. In the context of the difficulties with other strength sports, I'm not sure that's going to sell to the IOC. Probably not. Uh, the IWF is on thin ice as it is. It is looking like they're not going to end up at uh, the Olympics considering all of the doping failures. So we'll just leave the conversation at that. People, of course, are interested to hear this, but we like to focus on the positive stuff, talk about the exciting things USA Powerlifting is doing. But I'm glad that people get a chance to hear it right from you, the truth and what exactly is happening. And you do such a good job of explaining it. So we have a bright future as USA Powerlifting. I'm excited as a lifter, as a longtime member. I think it's a blessing in disguise. I know there's uh, uncertainty, right? Don't worry, folks. We have hundreds of meets scheduled for next year already. Uh, Pre-COVID, we had over 400 meets. You're going to have a USA Powerlifting meet in your neighborhood. You're going to have a way to compete. You're going to have an incredible experience with consistency from the local level all the way up to nationals and to the Arnold with the Pro Series uh, Larry, do you have any other words before we depart? Sure. You mentioned that we have a number of meets sanctioned for next year. Yeah. And um, pre-pandemic, we had 405 meets approximately. Wow. During the pandemic, that dropped to about 200 meets. This year, we have about 340 sanctioned meets as we emerge. Um, and we have 200 sanctioned already for 2022. So, And it's November, so... We're, we're on pace, I'd say, for a record next year as this uh, new, new year begins, which we're very excited for. Lots of innovation coming. And being the innovator is exciting, and it means really exciting new things for all of our members and new members. Hopefully, uh, if you're watching this and you're not a member, uh, go to our website, go check out the calendar, find a meet near you. We hope to see you on the platform and maybe even at the Pro Series one day. Exactly. Welcome aboard. Um, USA Powerlifting is open for business. Thank you all. We'll see you next time.